are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit GoCentralChurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. Hey, my name's Ethan. I'm one of the pastors here at Central. And if we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, I just want you to know how grateful I am that you're here today uh, and that we get to celebrate the truth, the fact that Jesus is alive and the grave is empty. Uh, hey, if you, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and meet me in Luke chapter 24. Uh, Luke chapter 24 is where we are going to spend some time uh, this morning. As you turn there, I don't want you to raise your hand or point at anyone, but uh, here's, just think about this question. Uh, would you say that you are an optimist or a pessimist? Uh, would you say that you are typically optimistic or that you are typically uh, pessimistic? Are you glass half empty, glass half full kind of a person? I was thinking about that question this week, and it occurred to me that maybe the best person to answer that question about yourself isn't you, right? Uh, Maybe the best person to ask if you're an optimist or a pessimist is your husband or your wife, right? Uh, um, I think my wife would tell you that I am the eternal optimist. Uh, I always think things are going to turn out great. Things are going to go well uh, in the end. Uh, But some of you are pessimists, right? Uh, Some of you uh, are the ones who like to say things like, well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. And here's what I would say to you. We hate it too, right? Don't do it. Stop. Uh, If you you feel like, hey, I I hate to say this, well, then don't say it because we're going to hate you afterwards, right? There, There are some people that they say things and I think, you know what? Like, I don't like you right now. Jesus loves you though, right? Uh, it, it's kind of like those people who will say, uh, no offense, but, right? As if whatever you're about to say, you can say whatever you want to, but because you said no offense, everything's fine, right? Uh, I'm offended at that. Um, so some of us are optimists, some of us are pessimists, but if we're honest, all of us can slide into that pessimism, right? Right? Even the most optimistic person can become pessimistic. It's easy to look around at life. It's easy to look around at the world. It's easy to look around at what's going on and to be a pessimist. We've got a war raging in Europe. Inflation is on the rise. Gas prices are expensive. We can look around at all of these things, and it's easy for us to look at all of them and be pessimistic. But the good news that we're here to celebrate this morning is that we have a reason for hope, right? We, we have a reason for optimism, and that reason for hope, that, that reason to be optimistic has a name, and his name is Jesus, right? We, we get to celebrate and be excited about that. And so as we, we look at Luke 24 here this morning, we're going to see this truth, that the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. So the resurrection, it changes pessimism to op- op- optimism. I can say that word, I promise, right? Uh, the, the resurrection changes all of it. Uh, so if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, look with me at Luke 24. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the words on the screen. But uh, let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word here in Luke chapter 24. Beginning in verse 1, the Spirit says to us this. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the good news that not only did Jesus die and not only was Jesus buried, but on the third day, Jesus rose again, conquering sin and conquering death. And because of Jesus's resurrection, everything is different. Everything has been changed. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would sink this deep into our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage, as we look at Luke chapter 24, uh, we're going to see how the resurrection changes things. In fact, we're going to see three ways or or three situations, three circumstances that the resurrection changed. So uh, the first uh, first we're going to see is this, is that Jesus' resurrection changes sadness to hope. Jesus' resurrection changes sadness to hope. Now, it may be an understatement to say that where we pick up here in Luke 24, that Jesus' followers are sad. It may be an understatement to say that they are discouraged or uh, to say that they are shaken or to say that they're wondering what's happened. And no, Jesus' followers at this point, their entire world has been turned upside down, right? This man that they followed for three years, this man that they saw work miracles, this man that they saw heal people, this man that they saw teach profound truths, this man that they had given their lives to, this man, as far as they know, is lying dead in a grave. And so they have no idea what to do next. They have no idea where to turn. Now, verse 1 of chapter 24 starts with an important word. Look at verse 1. It says, but. Now, I'm convinced that anytime you see the word but in Scripture, you should stop and ask, why is that there? Because something is about to change. Uh, Over and over again, we read about bad news, but then what do we read in the Scriptures? But God, right? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy. Right? It's always good news whenever the Bible uses the word, but. And so it's showing us that something is about to change. Now, if we were to go back and we were to read Luke 23, we'd read about the crucifixion of Jesus. And we would read that the way Luke 23 ends is that Jesus is put into the tomb of a borrowed tomb, a rich man. And he's put in that tomb and a stone is rolled away to, to, seal, that, uh, to seal that tomb And where Luke 23 ends is, it's a picture of these women who are making herbs and ointments and spices that they're going to go and they're going to anoint the body of Jesus with to prepare him for burial. And so look at verse 1. But on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, that's the Lord's day. The reason we worship on Sunday is because Sunday is the day that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the grave. But on the first day of week at early dawn, They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Look at verse 2. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
When they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. See, what's important here isn't what these women found. What's important here is what they didn't find. They they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And so put yourself in in their shoes for a minute. These women, they're, they're walking to the tomb and they are fully expecting to find a stone rolled to the entrance of the tomb. They're probably in the back of their mind, they're dealing with sadness and discouragement and all of those things. But in the back of their mind, they're wondering, what are we gonna do about the stone? Or what are we gonna do about the stone that's in the way to get into the tomb? Because this stone wasn't just a, a little stone. It wasn't a small stone. It wasn't a simple stone. No, what Matthew 27 tells us is that the Pharisees, they had gone to Pilate and they had said, Pilate, you need to roll a stone to the entrance of the tomb and you need to put guards at the entrance of the tomb because Jesus' followers, what they're gonna do is they're gonna try to steal the body because Jesus said that he was gonna rise again. And so just in that little picture, what we have is we have the Pharisees understanding better than the disciples did, Right? And so they put, they put this stone in front and it's a great stone. It's a, a heavy stone. It's not a stone that could be rolled to and from easily. And so these women, they're wondering, all right, what are we going to do when we get to the tomb? And they walk up to the tomb and what do they find? They don't find the stone in front of the door, in front of the entrance. What do they find? They find the stone rolled away. And so automatically they're probably wondering, all right, what's happening? What's going on? And they, they get to the they get to the tomb and there's no body of Jesus. Uh, Jesus isn't there. Now, now Luke does something interesting here. If you look at verse three, he says, but when they went in, they did not find the body. And then notice what he calls Jesus, the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, what's interesting here is that typically throughout the gospels, Jesus is never referred to as the Lord Jesus. But what happens is, is in Uh, the book of Luke part two, what we call the book of Acts, that that is the common, that's the favorite, that's the preferred name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus. So what Luke is doing here is he's showing us that something has changed. Something has shifted. This, This Jesus, he's not just another man. No, this is the risen and victorious Lord Jesus, right? That's what Luke is calling our attention to here. And so imagine what the women are feeling. They're feeling this sadness and this discouragement. And then they go in and they find that the body of Jesus is gone. Now to say that these women were confused might be an understatement. Look at verse four. While they were perplexed about this. That that word perplexed, it, it carries with it that idea of confusion, but it's almost like underlining the word confusion. Right? It's almost like emphasizing that, that these women, they weren't just confused, they were confused. Right? They didn't understand what was happening. Now what's ironic is that these women are confused, they are perplexed by what is ultimately going to bring them comfort. Right? They're perplexed by what is ultimately going to bring them hope and joy. And so amid this confusion, they're met by these two men, these angels that are standing there. Look at verse four. Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Now, uh, if you're like my house, then Easter means two things. It means that Jesus is alive and someone's getting a new dress, right? Jesus is alive and we're going shopping. Jesus is alive and because Jesus is alive, that means that we've got to get some new outfits. 
Now, I would imagine that none of us woke up this morning, got dressed, stood in the mirror, and thought, I look dazzling, right? <laughs> that, that word dazzling, it, it, it carries with it this idea of lightning-like. So most of us probably didn't stand up and look in the mirror this morning and say, my clothes are lightning-like, right? But these two men, these angels, that's exactly what they are. They stand there in dazzling apparel, lightning-like apparel. And the reason that they dazzle is because they've been in the presence of the risen Lord Jesus. Right? The, the reason that they dazzle is because they spend their days in the presence of a holy and a righteous God. Right? They, sit, they spend their days being affected by the glory of God in a way that on this side of eternity, you and I don't experience. But then one day we're going to be in God's presence, right? One day we're going to be in the presence of a righteous and a holy God who has welcomed us as his own only on the merits of the fact that Jesus is alive. And so these women, they arrive at the tomb overcome with sadness. But in the midst of their sadness, they find hope. See, they don't know what has happened but they know that something has because angels don't just show up. They, they, they turn and they see these two men who stand by them in dazzling apparel. And they know that if the angels are here, then that means something big is about to unfold. Several years ago, I was, I'd left my house and I was driving into work and we lived in a small town at the time. We, we lived in a neighborhood that was kind of off the beaten path. And so uh, we're driving out, I'm driving out of my neighborhood and I turn the corner and there is a TV news crew interviewing one of my neighbors. And I immediately thought, oh no, right? Because news crews, reporters, they don't show up for just no reason right? They show up because either something really good has happened or something really bad has happened. And so I called Anna, I called my wife and I said, hey, make sure the kids stay inside because I don't know what's happening, but something is happening, right? Something is going on. Well, this is what these women are doing at the tomb, right? They, they see these angels and they understand something is happening. They don't know what yet, but they turn around and they see these, these men standing in dazzling white apparel. They're there for a reason. In fact, that, that word angel, it, it really literally translated, it means messenger. And so these angels, these messengers, they've come to tell these women something. They, they've come to tell these ladies something. And so in that moment, what you have is you have... These women who arrive at the tomb carrying sadness, instantly that sadness is turned to hope, right? Instantly, they know that something special, something important has happened, and it has to do with Jesus. See, the resurrection changes everything. It, it, it changes our sadness to hope. Next, we see this, that the resurrection changes our fear to faith. See, the resurrection reminds us that, that even in the midst of sadness, there's always hope. And it reminds us that, that even in the midst of fear, we can always have faith. See, fear is a natural response in a lot of situations, right? 
There's that, that fight or flight mentality. So we know that there are certain times where fear is normal, where fear is natural. I'm not really a roller coaster guy, right? Uh, but every once in a while, I'll let someone talk me into getting on a roller coaster. Uh, and the natural, normal response for me uh, is fear. Uh, and once that ride starts is screaming like a little girl, right? Uh, but, but that's not necessarily the kind of fear that we're talking about here. Now, the kind of fear that we're talking about here is the fear that sets in whenever you walk into the doctor's office and he says, I don't know what's going on, but it's not good. The, the, the kind of fear that we're talking about here, it isn't roller coaster fear. It's the kind of fear uh, that happens whenever you get the phone call from a family member or a friend that says, hey, we need to sit down and talk. See, fear is a liar. I, I would venture this, that, that none of us make good decisions when we're motivated by fear. Because fear clouds the truth. It, it clouds reality. But there's an antidote to fear, and that's faith. So these, these women, they, they arrive at the tomb. They find Jesus gone. They find these men in dazzling white apparel. And their sadness gives way to hope, but it doesn't take long for that hope to turn to fear. Look at verse 5. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? This is the natural response to seeing angels. All, all through the Bible, whenever uh, people meet angels, the first thought is not, this is going to look really good on Instagram, right? The, the, the first thought is not, wait till I tell my friends. No, the first thought is always, oh no. It, it's always fear. And that's what happens here. They're, they're perplexed. These two men stand by them in dazzling apparel, and then they're frightened, and they bow to the ground. Now, this word frightened, it, it's a, a kind of fear that leads to reverence. Now, what's interesting about this is just like the confusion was going to lead these women to hope, here, this fear is going to ultimately lead them to faith. And so these angels show up, and these angels have a very specific task. The, the task of the angels is not to introduce anything new. The task of the angels is simply to say, remember what he said? Remember what Jesus said? Look at verse 6. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. See, all the angels had to do was to remind these women of what Jesus had said. They just had to remind them of what Jesus had promised. And so, so listen to how clear Jesus was whenever he would talk about this situation. Listen to Luke chapter 9, verse 22. We'll have it on the screen. Saying that the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking, Jesus saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Or listen to Luke chapter 18, verse 33. And after flogging him, this is Jesus speaking once again, after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. See, Jesus wasn't just predicting that this was happening. Jesus was promising that the resurrection would happen. Jesus was promising that, that here's what's going to take place. Here's what's going to happen. 
None of these things should have surprised these women, and yet they did because they chose to believe a lie instead of the truth. See, that's the great danger of fear is that we believe lies instead of truth. The, the, the great danger of fear is that, that our memories begin to get cloudy and, and we can't see the truth or this happens. Sometimes, maybe even oftentimes, fear is more comfortable than faith. Or we can put it like this. Oftentimes, fear is more enjoyable than faith. Right? Uh, oftentimes, it feels better to sit in our fear because we at least know what's there rather than responding in faith to what God has called us to do or to who God has said he is. Right? Uh, oftentimes, we would rather sit in that fear of the unknown than we would have faith in God because of this. Because when we sit in fear of the unknown, it's in our control, right? It's in our hands. But whenever we say, no, I'm going to respond in faith, then we're turning it over to the Lord. Right? Then what happens whenever we decide that we're going to respond in faith instead of fear, what happens is, is we're saying, Jesus, you're a better savior than I am. God, you are wiser than I am. God, you know better than I do, but that's not our natural response. Our natural response is that we would rather sit in the fear. Right? We would rather sit and, and, and marinate in all of those lies. And so what do we do when fear attacks? Well, when fear attacks, our greatest weapon is our memory. Look at verse 8. It's short. And they remembered his words. They remembered his words. That, that's, what, that's what the women did. How, how does their fear move to faith? Their fear moves to faith, not because they found it inside of themselves to suddenly just be full of faith, right? Their, their fear doesn't move to faith because suddenly they became really good Christians, right? No, their fear moves to faith because they remembered what God had said. See, see, God didn't say, hey, if you want to have faith, then you need to be bigger and better, right? God didn't say, hey, if you, if you want to have faith, then you need to find it in yourselves. You know, it, it's funny that if you, if you go into a, a bookstore and you go to the Christian section, so much of what passes as Christian is really sub-Christian because it focuses on us rather than on God. There was, a, there was a book that, that got big several years ago, and it was all about, hey, what can you do? How, how can you be full of faith? How can you make your life better? Brothers and sisters, the key to making your life better is not that you be strong enough, but trusting that God is good enough, right? That, that, that trusting that if Jesus is alive, then, then he can handle whatever's happening, right? He, he, he can handle whatever you are walking through, whatever you are going through. See, in the face of fear, we remember God. In the face of fear, we remember who he is and what he has done. Now, faith is not knowing all of the specifics. Wouldn't it be great if whenever you walk into those circumstances, when you walk through those valleys, when you walk through those trials, wouldn't it be great if the Lord just kind of downloaded the map onto your phone so that you knew how this journey was going to play out? But, but that's not how it works, right? That's not faith. See, the writer of Hebrews tells us that faith is confidence in what you cannot see. I'm not super technological. I can use a computer and I can use a phone and I can do some things. But if you've got, if you've got an IT problem, don't call me, all right? Because I'm, I'm not going to be able to help you. But one of the things that I can do, 
uh, and seems to always work is whenever your computer freezes up or your phone stops working, you call someone, you ask someone, what should I do? What do they say? Well, have you tried turning it off and turning it back on? right? Have you tried unplugging it and counting to 13 and then plugging it back in? And and every time I hear that, I think that is crazy. But then I do it and suddenly my phone works, right? (laughs) Suddenly my computer works. I have no idea why. I have no idea why that works. Now someone's going to email me to tell me why that works, uh, I'm sure. Uh, But uh, I have no idea why that works. But here's what I know. It works, See, putting our faith in God, putting our faith in his Savior, we might not always understand the how. We might not always understand the why, but we understand the end, right? Trusting Jesus always works. There's never a time, there's never a situation, there's never a circumstance in your life where you have to stop and wonder, well, is trusting God really the best option here? Is, is trusting God really the right decision? The trusting God is always right. It's always where we should go. It's always what we should do. And we can trust God because of the resurrection, right? We can trust God because the resurrection changes everything. And because the resurrection changes everything, now our sadness is changed to hope and our fear is changed to faith. We, we don't have to wonder, is God going to be good to us? No, God has promised he's going to be good to us. How do we know that God has promised that he's going to be good to us? How can we take it to the bank that God is going to be good to us? We can take it to the bank that God is going to be good to us because God killed his son and rose him from the grave so that he could be with us, right? So that he could save us. See, the resurrection changes everything. It changes sadness to hope and fear to faith. And finally, we see this at the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection changes sorrow to joy. See, the resurrection changes sadness to hope. It changes fear to faith. But all of this is ultimately for our joy. See, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Look at verse 9. In returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. And so the women respond in only the way that, that is, makes sense, right? They hear this good news, and so they don't say, hey, do you think we should tell the others? Huh? They, they don't say, hey, this is going to be awkward. This is going to be weird. Let's make sure we get our story straight. No, they go because they need to tell the others. They need to tell the, the disciples, they need to tell the apostles who, who are no longer 12, but are now 11, right? Because Judas is missing. Judas is gone. Judas is dead at this point. And they, they need to tell all of the others is what Luke says here. Now, now, how many is all of the others? Well, if you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 15, we, we read that, that all of the others number around 120. And so they go back and they've got to tell this group. And when they get back to this group, you've got to imagine that they walk into the room and to say that sorrow fills the room is probably an understatement. They probably look up and they they see these women coming in the door and these women are smiling and they're happy and they're excited. And this group that's in the room, they're probably thinking, what do you have to be happy about? What do you have to be excited about? Look at verse 10, we finally get the names of these women. That was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who who told these things to the apostles. 
So we know it was at least five women. We keep going. Look at verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So these women, they go and they, they tell this group, Jesus is alive. We just met these angels, and they told us that Jesus is alive. In this group, they still don't remember Christ's promise. They still don't remember what Jesus has said, and so they didn't believe him. It says that it was an idle, they, they heard it, seemed to be to them an idle tale. That, that phrase, idle tale, that's a, that's a word that's used, not necessarily a lot in the New Testament, but in medical writing during the time of the New Testament, they would use this word, idle tale. And it's always used to talk about the stories and the ramblings of a delirious person. And so the way that the disciples and the way that this group hear these women, they don't hear it as gospel truth. They hear it as delirious ramblings. You might say, well, why is that? We've got to remember that at this time, in this culture, women weren't to be trusted. They couldn't testify in court. There were so many things they couldn't do that they were really seen as a second-class citizen. But isn't it interesting that our God in his providence trusts the news of the resurrection with the women who aren't to be believed? See, even there, God's turning the culture upside down, right? He's recognizing the dignity of these women. He's he's recognizing they're made in the image of God. He's he's recognizing that, uh, that they have a valuable role to play in this kingdom. And what's interesting to me as well is you notice that it's women who go to the tomb. It's not men. See, the the disciples, these men, they're hiding in fear, right? If they killed Jesus, what are they going to do to us? If they did that to Jesus, what what are they going to do to me? But what do the women do? The women say, bring it on, right? He he, he deserves to be anointed. He he, he deserves to be prepared for burial. And so these women, they come back and they, they tell them this news, but they're not believed. But then look at verse 12. Peter finally gets something right right? Like you, you read all through the New Testament, and it's always Peter. Be quiet, right? Peter, don't do that. Peter, don't say that. He finally gets something right. Look at verse 12. Peter rose and ran to the tomb. It, it's almost like something piqued his interest. It, it's, it's almost like he suddenly remembers, wait, Jesus said something about a resurrection. Je- Jesus said something about being killed and, and rising three days later. So verse 12 says that Peter rose and he, he ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. The word by themselves is important because it means there's nothing else there, right? Jesus isn't there. And he went home marveling at what had happened. So Peter goes, he goes into the tomb, he, he sees that the tomb is empty, and then he goes, he goes home marveling. He, he goes home understanding, not fully, not completely, but understanding that something has happened. See, in that moment, Peter's sorrow moved to joy. See, the resurrection proves that joy is always possible. The resurrection proves that, that our God is always offering us joy. Sorrow is not normal. Sorrow is not natural. In fact, 
Sorrow is a sign for us that life is not the way it's supposed to be. Something has gone wrong. That's the purpose of pain, right? The, the purpose of pain is to tell us that something isn't right. Sometimes I'll walk through my house and I'm convinced that when my kids go to sleep at night, they have a little operation where they're sharpening the corners of Legos, right? And then they're just throwing those Legos out because daddy's going to come through at some point. And, and I'll walk through my house and I'll step on that Lego. And if you've ever stepped on a Lego or a Hot Wheels car or a toy, whatever it is, then you know that pain, right? That, that, that pain shoots up through your leg and, and you, you, you can't hardly contain it. But that pain is a purpose because that pain is telling you, hey, there's something there that shouldn't be there, right? Something has happened that shouldn't happen. That's not what you were made to experience. See, sorrow for us is a reminder that something has gone wrong. Something isn't right. Something has been messed up. And so sorrow is a reminder for us that something has gone wrong. And the resurrection is a reminder for us that through Jesus, God is changing, God is fixing, God is restoring everything. See, the resurrection is the antidote to sorrow. The resurrection is the antidote to fear. The, the resurrection is the antidote to sadness. See, in the resurrection, everything is changed. In the resurrection, God is promising, God has promised that all of the sad stories that we have, all of the pain that we bear, all of the problems that we experience, all of that is going to be wiped away. See, in the resurrection, God is continuing what he promised all the way back in Genesis. In the resurrection, God is continuing a work. He, he's continuing that promise to make all things new. You know, maybe, maybe you've had a bad day this last week. Maybe you had a bad day this morning. We've all experienced those bad days. I've heard it said like this, that there's no bad day that can't be fixed by a little resurrection, right? The, the, the resurrection is changing everything. But see, God promises hope. He promises peace. He, he promises joy for those who, who are trusting in Jesus. This resurrection hope that we're talking about, this resurrection that changes everything, this hope, this joy, this peace is available to anyone and everyone who will call on the name of Jesus. See, this, this resurrection power, this resurrection hope, this resurrection peace, this resurrection joy, this resurrection faith, it's available to anyone who will come to Jesus. It's available to anyone who will lay their lives down and say, you know what? I am done trying to be the Lord of my life. I'm done trying to be the captain. I'm done trying to figure it all out on my own. And instead, I'm giving all that I am and all that I have over to Jesus. I'm giving it all over to him because he's the one who conquered sin. He's the one who conquered death. He's the one who conquered the grave. And I can't do that on my own. Right, I can't fix that on my own. And so, so how, do you, how do you trust that? How do you lay hold of that? Well, this is really the gospel, right? See, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is simple. See, God created everything perfect. God created everything right. God created everything good, but it didn't take us long to mess it up. 
See, through Adam and Eve, through our first parents, sin enters the world. And with sin comes death and disease and decay and destruction. And so now we all experience sin. We experience sin because we all are born as sinners. It's in our nature. It's, it's who we are. And as sinners, we need a rescue, right? We need to be saved and we can't save ourselves. Well, the Bible says that at the right time, Jesus came. But right? at the right time, Jesus came. And, and Jesus wasn't born like us. He, he wasn't born as a sinner. No, Jesus was born of a virgin. And so Jesus isn't born with the sin nature that you and I have. Jesus is born as perfect. Jesus is born having no trace of sin and no taste of sin. And then he lives a perfect life. He never sins. He resists temptation over and over and over and over again. And he, he gets to the end of his life. And rather than getting the reward for his perfect life, he gets the punishment for our sin. See, on the cross, Jesus became our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that he became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So on the cross, Jesus becomes sin. And he doesn't just become sin generically. He becomes my sin. He becomes your sin. And on the cross, all of God's wrath for my sin and for your sin is poured out on Jesus Christ. On the perfect holy, righteous one, he becomes sin and he takes God's wrath. And on the cross, he takes the punishment and he dies the death that I deserve. And he dies the death that you deserve. And he's buried in a tomb. But that's not the end of the story, right? He's buried in a tomb and three days later, he rises again. He's resurrected. Now, why does the resurrection matter? The resurrection matters. Why, why do we celebrate Easter? The resurrection matters because of this. Because when Jesus rose from the grave, what he was doing is he was proving that his sacrifice was acceptable to the Father. See, when Jesus rose from the grave, what he was doing is he was proving that sin and death have no power over him. And now here's the promise of the gospel. That if we'll trust and we'll believe in him, then sin and death will have no power over us either. Right? That, that if we'll, we'll trust, if we'll believe the gospel, if we'll believe that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did what he said he would do and that even now he's doing what he promises he will do, that if we'll trust in that, then our future is not sadness and fear and sorrow. Our future is life and joy eternal with God. But see, there's a promise for those who reject that as well. See, the, the promise for those who reject this, this free offer of grace, the, the promise for, for those is that you're not resurrected to life and joy, but you're resurrected to hell and punishment. Right? You're resurrected to separation. But the good news is, is that 
our God has done everything that you need to change your future from hell to heaven, from punishment to grace, from sorrow to joy. And so maybe this morning, maybe you need to put your hope and your trust and your faith in Jesus. Maybe this morning you need to receive for the first time the the free offer that Jesus saves. And we, that's why we're here. Right? That's why we do what we do. That's why we're here celebrating the fact that Jesus saves and because Jesus saves, anyone can be saved. All right, you might say, Ethan, you don't understand. You don't understand what I've done. You don't understand what I've said. You, you don't understand who I am. And you know what I would say to that? You are absolutely right. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you've said. I don't know what you've done. But Jesus does and he loves you anyway. Right? Jesus does, and he still offers you grace and forgiveness. John Newton, the writer of that hymn, Amazing Grace, he used to say it like this, that I am a great sinner, but Jesus is a greater Savior. You cannot out God's grace. And so maybe this morning, for the first time, you need to experience God's grace. Maybe for the first time this morning, you need to trust Jesus. So here in just a minute, we are going to sing I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. And, and that song is really, it's a time of response. It's a time for you to respond to what we've heard. It's a time for you to respond to God's grace. And so maybe, maybe you're a believer, maybe you're a Christian. Well, for you, that response, what does that response look like? It is being grateful to God that Jesus died so that you didn't have to. It's reminding yourself, right? It's reminding yourself that Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, I don't have sadness. I have hope. I don't have fear. I have faith. I don't have sorrow. I have joy. But, but maybe, maybe you're one who's here today and maybe you need to trust Jesus for the first time. Maybe you need to give your heart and your life to Jesus for the first time. You need to experience his grace and his goodness and his forgiveness. We've got people who are ready to talk with you more about that, who, who are ready to pray with you, who are ready to walk with you. And so for you, maybe, maybe as we sing, maybe instead of singing, maybe you just need to pray, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and my sin has separated me from you. And God, I need Jesus. I need grace. I need forgiveness. I can't do it on my own. And so God, I want you to save me. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to be covered by the blood of Jesus because Jesus died so that I wouldn't have to. Maybe, maybe you need to pray a prayer like that. Or maybe you just want to talk to someone a little bit more about, all right, well, what does this look like? How do I do this? What does all of this mean? We've got a few ways you can do that. You, you can send a text to this number. We're going to put it on the screen. 407-338-4024. There's someone on the other end of that text who's ready to start a conversation with you. You can leave this room and you can go up to our next steps room right on the right. There's people in that room who are ready to talk with you, ready to pray with you. If you you get lost, just look for someone that has a hello shirt or look for someone that looks a little more confident than you do, right? They'll, they'll help get you to where you need to go. Or at the end of this service, when we're done singing and all of that, we're going to have some people down front. It's our next steps team. We're going to have some people down front and they're ready to talk with you. They're ready to pray with you. They're ready to help lead you to Jesus who is always good and who is always kind and who is always welcoming, saying, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you not more things to do, not more things to try, 
but I will give you rest. And so maybe you need a little rest this morning. Maybe you need a little resurrection this morning. Maybe you've come to the right place. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness and your mercy. Lord, thank you for the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you that Jesus is alive and that we can be here and we can celebrate this morning. And we don't celebrate a good teacher who is in a grave, but we celebrate our God who is alive. God, thank you that that death and sin could not hold Jesus in the grave, but that you have made him alive and that you will make us alive as we put our faith and our hope and our trust in you. And so, Father, I pray this morning, maybe for those who are, who are wrestling with, with trusting you, God, I pray that you would work in their hearts. I, I pray that you would work in their life. God, I pray that you would do whatever it takes to get them to you because we know that when they come to you, that you give joy. God, we're grateful that the resurrection changes everything. And Father, we pray that you would sink the truth of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection, deep into our hearts even now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.